1: Thank you for standing by welcome to the linamar corporation second quarter 2021 earnings call at this time all participants are in a listen-only mode after the speaker presentation there will be a question and answer session to ask a question during the session you will need to press star 1 on your telephone if you require any further assistance please press star 0. thank you i would now like to hand the conference over to linamar ceo linda hasengfratz please go ahead
2: Thanks very much, and good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to our second quarter conference call. Joining me this afternoon are members of my executive team, Jim Gerald, Dale Schneider, Roger Fulton, Mark Stoddard, as well as members of our corporate IR, marketing, finance, and legal team. So before I begin, uh, I will draw your attention to the disclaimer that is currently being broadcast. Okay, let's uh, start off with a short update on the COVID-19 crisis and Linamar's current focus. So our approach to this last leg of the pandemic is the same as the first, as we continue to focus on our employees, shareholders, communities, and customers in our Linamar Health First plant. In this stage of the pandemic, our focus is really in three key areas. First, ensuring that we continue to have a safe workplace where we remain vigilant, of course, about following protocols and adjusting such as conditions permit, continuing our regular testing to ensure we are avoiding another wave and continuing to encourage and enable high levels of vaccination rates. We're big believers that regular testing is key to controlling community spread and avoiding another wave. Vaccination alone is not enough. We've also been very focused on communication with our people and communities about the importance of vaccination, which along with testing is again how we avoid another wave and continue to work towards a more normal existence. We've seen great take-up in our employee base for vaccination with our core glove plants more than 81% at least one shot in. The success of the vaccination program in Guelph, where actually over 80% of city residents are fully vaccinated and nearly 90% have at least one shot, has meant that we are winding down operations at our mass vaccination clinic. I am so proud of the Lunamar team and the army of local volunteers who made the clinic such a success and played such an important role in keeping people in our community healthy and safe. We administered over 57,000 shots in Guelph in the past five months with record levels of efficiency. So congratulations go out to the whole Project Safeguard team. We have here a few great uh, posts from our patients, uh, our volunteers and public health uh, that, uh, from the clinic. And here's also some great shots of our amazing volunteer team. Okay, with that, let's jump into some of the specifics about the quarter, starting with sales, earnings, and content. Sales for the quarter were 1.58 billion, up 71% from last year. The auto sector has strongly rebounded from the lows of 2020, despite the drag of semiconductor chip shortages. Global vehicle markets were up 45% over Q2 last year. At the same time, we are seeing significantly higher sales growth in our mobility business of 78% thanks to launching business driving our global market share growth. Growth would have been even higher if not for the offsetting impact of both chip-related customer shutdowns and FX headwinds, which were substantial this quarter. SkyJob saw a very strong quarter on the back of a steeply rebounding market. Similarly, Mapdown markets are up, as is market share in all core products, driving a strong sales performance there as well. In both cases, performance was constrained by supply chain issues and impacted as well by FX headwinds, but demand is clearly back. Normalized net earnings are up significantly over last year's loss to 106.9 million, driven by the strong sales growth, but impacted by FX, Supply chain issues, and of course, lower government support programs. Chip shortages seem to be disproportionately impacting our biggest customers, which is having a negative impact on content per vehicle in each region this quarter. Although our global content per vehicle is up on the back of that launching business. On the plus side, vehicle production levels are up in the double digits across the board and our sales growth is exceptional as well in comparison to prior year. Commercial and industrial sales were up 48% in the quarter, mainly due to strong SkyJet performance, although Macdon was also significantly up over prior year as well. Carefully managing CapEx continues to be a key theme for us uh, in Q2, although up from last year's low point. At $50.8 million spent in the quarter, we are still below our normal run rate. Linamar's utilization of flexible pro- programmable equipment is the key factor in allowing us flexibility in times of market softness to continue to tool up new business without requiring significant capex. And I do think this is a big advantage that Linamar has in comparison to our competitors. We do expect CAPEX to return to normal levels of between six and 8% of sales next year after another conservative year here in 2021. We have continued our track record of generating free cash flow with another $138 million generated this quarter. This marks our 13th consecutive quarter of positive free cash flow, which I think is excellent. We expect to see solidly positive free cash flow for the full year 2021. We have $1.7 billion of liquidity available to us, which is also outstanding. Our strong balance sheet and liquidity means we have the ability to take on takeover work or acquisitions as they arise in an opportunistic market and drive even more growth. The solid cash flow has allowed us to further reduce net debt levels. Net debt now sits at $199 million, which is down now nearly $2 billion from its peak in early 2018, despite the pressures of the pandemic. Leverage likewise improved dramatically to now 0.17 times the last 12 months EBITDA. I thought it would be a good idea to talk a little more in depth around some of the headwinds we're facing at the moment around supply chain issues, logistics costs, and labor shortages. Certainly, as we have emerged from the low point seen economically last year and markets have roared back, we are feeling the impact of these issues in a variety of areas. The good news is, although of course they are difficult to manage, these issues are not new. We've seen them in the past. And like then they will resolve as additional capacity is put in place, which is well underway. The big news naturally is around the shortage of semiconductor chips, which has hit the automotive industry quite hard. As often happens in a recession, the capital-intensive chip industry scaled back investment to conserve cash last year, which has restricted supply. Exacerbating the problem is the spike in orders for consumer electronics and computer equipment for businesses relocating to remote work last year, which put pressure on demand. When the auto industry roared back and demand spiked again, there just wasn't enough chips to go around, and as the last man in, auto was short-supplied chips. Now, part of the problem of this situation is the unpredictability of the impact and when it will realistically be resolved. Total estimated loss of vehicles built for the year, according to IHS, is currently 5.3 million units. And you can see how that splits out over the year in the top left quadrant of this slide with Q2 expected to be the peak impact. That said, the bottom right chart shows you the original estimated impact for each quarter compared to the actual or latest estimate with respect to Q3. Coming into Q2 as an example, the estimated volume loss of vehicles for the quarter was 160,000 units and it ended up being 2.6 million units not not built, vehicles not built. The current estimate for Q3 is a loss of 1.27 million vehicles, which by the way was originally estimated at only 50,000 back in May. We are worried this figure is also underestimated and will grow closer to the Q2 impact. That's not the current forecast from IHS, but we do see it as a risk we are suggesting a conservative outlook be used for Q3 in terms of volumes as a result. In terms of the impact of lost vehicles by region, you can see the impact regionally was relatively balanced in that top uh, right-hand chart, although Asia has taken the biggest hit and Europe the least. In terms of OEMs, now I'm in the bottom left quadrant. If you add up the three Volkswagen groups, you can see they took the biggest hit overall at over 1 million units of impact. They were followed closely by Ford and then Stellantis and GM. Although we will see improvements in supply of chips each quarter thanks to capacity coming online in coming months, it's largely expected that the situation won't fully resolve until at least mid-2022. Commodity prices are presenting a challenge as well. You can see here some of the more important commodities to us in the charts that we're displaying. Of course, on the mobility side, the vast majority of contracts do allow for a pass-through on metal uh, price changes based on a predetermined metal market index. Although I will note there's a bit of a lag effect. On the industrial side, however, there is no such mechanism making adjustments for commodity cost changes more challenging. At the same time, we're seeing a lag in the ability of suppliers to meet demand, notably on the industrial side, which impacts not just cost, but our ability to meet production needs for a rebounding market. And of course, the cost of shipping has dramatically increased in the last 18 months as well. as as again, container companies stopped investing in 2020 to conserve cash. Another issue was the imbalance in container availability geographically that was created due to uneven levels of production shutdowns from country to country. Again, the situation will resolve as there is quite a bit of additional capacity being put in place for containers, but it will likely be another six months before we see relief. Finally, we're seeing a real shortage in the availability of labor at the moment. Despite unemployment levels being reasonably high, We are struggling to fill open positions. In Guelph alone, we are looking for more than 1,000 people and should be able to find them given unemployment is seasonally adjusted to more than 10%. We believe that the continuation of generous government subsidies for people not working is a key factor in our inability to attract people back to work. Although these subsidies were critical during the toughest months of the pandemic to keep income flowing to people that were unable to work, the opposite is now the case with record levels of job openings across North America and workers just not stepping up to fill them. We really need to wind down these programs to encourage people to get back to work, frankly both for their own physical and mental health as well as our economic health. Now the good news is we will get through this situation, just as we have in the past when these very same challenges were faced. Here's a couple of articles describing the challenges in cost and supply. On the left is an article from the New York Times describing container prices tripling, and another article on the right from an English paper that uh, describes the semiconductor chip shortage that is hitting the industry. Now it may surprise you to know that both of these articles, as they were showing in those uh, little bubbles there, were written in 2010. Supply chain issues are not unusual coming out of a recession or a similar time of disruption. When the economy slows or stops, companies stop investing to conserve cash. Sometimes they shut down capacity. They stop making shipping containers. They stop adding needed capacity or slow down investments. All of that has a big impact when demand starts to rebound, and it just takes time to work through that supply demand equation. Investments have to be made, capacity has to ramp back up, containers need to be built and commissioned. Ultimately, it gets done. But it typically takes 12 to 18 months to work through the hiccups in the supply chain. So that's what you should expect. Now, turning to a market outlook, we have the next really good piece of news. And that is that market demand is exceptionally strong. Consumers are buying and markets are up, notwithstanding the constraints that we've described. What that means is we will be looking at a sustained period of strong performance for some time after these issues get resolved, which will happen over the next couple of quarters. We are seeing markets sharply up across the board this year, which shouldn't be a surprise after a tough 2020. Industry experts are predicting strong growth in light vehicle volumes globally this year to $14.6 18 million and 44.5 million vehicles in North America, Europe, and Asia, respectively. 2022 will see continued strong growth in North America to 17 million units, and growth in Europe and Asia to 20.3 and 47.8 million. Industry experts are predicting on-highway medium-heavy truck volumes to be solidly up in North America and Europe this year, but down in Asia. Next year, we'll see continued moderate growth in North America and Europe, but again, down in Asia. Industry experts predict strong double-digit growth in the access market in North America and Europe this year and next year, coming off the tough uh, 2020 as construction projects start to ramp back up and consumer confidence continues to build post-pandemic. Asia will see solid growth this year as well with more modest growth forecasts for next year. Backlog is meaningfully up from prior year at nearly four times the level we were at in Q2 2020. The challenge is meeting the demand with supply chain issues hampering production levels. Lastly, industry is predicting solid growth in the combine draper header market this year in double digits globally, but strongest in North America. We're also seeing some pickup in the wind grower market this year after a few years of declines, notably in Europe, CIS, and North America. The order book is up significantly over last year with farmers feeling more confident with persistently strong commodity prices, a good harvest last year, and a perception of a more stable international trade environment. Meeting demand is also a challenge for Macdon regarding supply chain and logistics issues. There are a few concerns on the horizon in terms of this year's harvest with a drought in North America and flooding in Europe. The coming months will give us a better idea of the success of the harvest and therefore farmers attitudes towards buying for 2022. Looking at a little more detail on the auto side, you can see sales are fairly consistently up over prior year at significant growth levels despite the automakers inability to build vehicles at the rate they would like and the very low inventory levels. So great to see that the, uh, those uh, positive bars of growth at the far right in each region. In fact, inventory levels in North America are at record lows with average days inventory at only 24 days overall. What this means, and this is really important, regardless of consumer demand, we will be in a sustained period for at least a couple of years of strong production levels just to replenish inventory. That's regardless of demand. We need to replenish inventory and it's going to take a couple of years to do that. Strong demand will just lengthen the time period of this strong uh, period of production to beyond that two years. This is great news to the industry to have a period of sustained above normal production levels to look forward to. And looking at production levels compared to what was forecast at our last conference call in May, you can see a softer Q2 than forecast, again, as as mentioned, dropping out of those chip issues. Q3 is currently forecast to be slightly softer than we expected last quarter as well, again, regarding chips, and the same story for the full year, which is now trimmed up by 1.5 million units uh, for the same reason. Uh, That said, production in Q2 was, of course, dramatically up from last year, which is the blue bar to the far left of each chart. So it's showing you prior year actuals. Q3 will be slightly softer than Q3 last year, but the full year will still be up in double digits in comparison to 2020 in terms of global light vehicle production. The bottom line is markets are significantly up despite the issues and are poised for a few years of strong growth as supply issues resolve. Looking at the ISS market in more detail, you can see first that all three markets showed exceptional growth over prior year in the second quarter in triple-digit increases across the board, uh, in uh, which is the orange bar. Further growth for the full year in core North America and European markets are expected, uh, which is a great sign. Equipment utilization levels continue to look positive. In Q2, utilization levels were between 93 and 98% of 2019 levels and well ahead of 2020, which is a really good sign. Double-digit growth is expected in core North American and European markets in 2021 and 2022, as you can see. The strong backlog already noted at SkyJack certainly supports this and should drive double-digit sales growth for SkyJack this year and next year. In the agricultural business, we're seeing a very optimistic outlook in North America in particular for double-digit growth this year after soft 2020. Q2 combine retails in North America were 10% up from prior year, with a strong showing in Canada, which was up 22%, uh, and the U.S. up 7%. International markets are also predicting double-digit growth across the board. Macdon continues to build market share in international markets, notably with our Draper header products, with strong growth and market share growth in all of Australia, South America, Europe and CIS over the last 12 months. We're also seeing growth in our windrower product market share in both Europe and CIS as the market shifts back to windrowing from straight cutting in reaction to regulatory changes. Order intake is significantly ahead of last year at this time, indicating double-digit sales growth for MACDON this year as well, and an expectation of continued growth in 2022, assuming no significant issues with the harvest this fall. Turning to an update on growth and outlook, you will be pleased to know that we had another excellent quarter in new business wins. I'm going to highlight a few of our more strategic wins uh, in a moment. Uh, but just to talk a little bit about the opportunity out there, we are seeing electrified vehicles continue to provide great opportunity for us. Almost a quarter of business wins here today were for electrified vehicles, which likewise makes up a substantial share of the book of business currently being pursued. Our percentage of our book of wins that are for electrified v- vehicles has been steadily growing every year as you might expect given the expected growth in this segment of the market. You can see here a steady build in our global content per vehicle for battery electric vehicles as a result of recent wins. It's quite a steep uh, curve of growth. The lines of internal combustion engine, battery electric vehicle, global content per vehicle are converging, which of course is the goal. Our content for vehicles and electric vehicles is predicted to surpass that of hybrids within a couple years as we see more and more battery electric wins, which are certainly the majority of what we're seeing on the electrified side. Our strategy for pursuing electrified vehicles is diverse in many aspects, which allows us to really maximize opportunities for growth. We have a diverse lineup of products in various areas of the vehicle from propulsion systems to structural and chassis to power generation and power storage. We're targeting passenger cars as well as commercial vehicles, trucks of every class, and off-road vehicles, and we're targeting all types of electrified propulsion, battery electric, hybrid, fuel cell electric. We're also targeting both traditional OEMs and new entrants to the vehicle field very successfully. And finally, we're open to a variety of scalable solutions for our customers from individual components to sub-assemblies to full systems. And I feel like this strategy is really paying off as we win business in all of these different areas and uh, with a variety of different combinations of such. Once again, the flexibility of Lindemar's strategy is key to our success. Our addressable market across a range of vehicle propulsion types continues to look excellent with the total addressable market for us today around 80 billion growing to more than 300 billion in the future. Uh, an increase of more than three times. As you can see the market potential for each type of vehicle propulsion really starts to even up with most opportunity of course in the battery electric and fuel cell electric areas in the early years. This is driving from the higher potential content per vehicle that we now have in electrified vehicles thanks to continued product development in areas like assembled battery trays, hydrogen fuel tanks and others. With respect to launches, we are back to seeing ramping volumes on launching transmission, engine, and driveline platforms, which are predicted to reach 40 to 50 percent of mature levels this year, generating incremental sales of 500 to 600 million. These programs will peak at more than $3.7 billion in sales. We saw a shift of around $30 million of programs moving from launch to production last quarter, which was well offset by more strong business wins in the quarter. Next year, we should see growth at 35 to 45% for launches to generate additional incremental sales of 600 to 700 million. As usual, we are summarizing all of these expectations of market changes on our outlook slide that's now being displayed. With markets recovering as described, we're expecting to see double-digit growth on the top line, and strong double-digit growth on the bottom line this year. We will see continued double-digit growth in 2022. This drives from double-digit growth at both Skyjack and Macdon this year, as well as significant market growth in our auto business and continued ramping of launching business there. Next year should see continued growth of all three businesses based again on growing markets, growing market share, and launching business. Margins will be back into our normal range of 7% to 9% at the net level this year, driving from mobility segment margins expanding back into the normal range, into sort of mid-normal range, and industrial margins getting close to being back to normal levels. Next year should see continued margin expansion and normal margin ranges for both segments and overall. Leverage levels will continue to improve based on continued positive free cash flow both years. Now looking specifically at Q3, as mentioned, you should be prepared for a bigger chip impact in terms of lost vehicle builds than is currently forecast by the industry folks out there. We could be being overly cautious here, but we are concerned by the pattern of underestimation that we have seen. Ag and Access will both see solid growth driving out of their strong backlogs and again, a much stronger market than last year. The growth in comparison to Q2 will be modest given the strong quarter that we just had. Supply chain and logistics cost impacts will continue, as will the impact of labor shortages. And importantly, we are not forecasting any additional government subsidies past Q2 continued, given continued recovery. All of that means conservatively a fairly similar Q3 to what we just delivered in Q2. I'll highlight a few of our more interesting wins this quarter. First, we picked up several more pro- programs for next generation battery electric vehicles. In aggregate, they represent nearly $65 million in annual sales and can be, and will be produced in various plants in both Canada and China. Our customers in this uh, group include a Chinese domestic OEM, which is very positive as this is a target customer group for us. Next is a series of uplift programs awarded for various high-efficiency transmission programs with well over $100 million in revenue. These are for our plants in Canada. In a similar vein, we won several components for an all-new next-generation 8-speed transmission, again, for our Canadian plants. This one worth more than $80 million a year as a package in revenue. And finally, several wins for highly-efficient highly fuel efficient cylinder head programs that are gonna be produced in Mexico and in France worth in aggregate almost $100 million per year in revenue. Turning to an innovation review, I would like to highlight a few great technology developments launched in the quarter. First, I'd like to show, show you a recent new product offering from the Skyjack portfolio that was named Editor's Choice from Rental Magazine. The SJ20 is a new vertical mass lift that Skyjack launched into the market this spring. It features an all-electric drive, and improved duty cycles, and superior battery life. The award illustrates that the uh, product has captured the attention of end users as well as rental uh, professionals and, of course, Central Magazine's team of editors. And it's a great example, I think, of, of Skyjack's commitment to providing the aerial work platform industry with simple, reliable equipment solutions. Next, MacDon is very excited to announce the launch of the fv 2 header. The two-series flex draper builds on MacDon's leadership and harvesting technology with significantly improved cutting capacity, increased operating speed, and more flex for improved ground following. The SV2 begins production in the spring of 2022 and is another great example of innovation and R&D that MacDon has long been known for in the agricultural equipment industry. Next, our R&D efforts continue to prepare for the electrification transition in the mobility segment. We now have e-axle product solutions for the commercial vehicle market covering class one all the way through class six segments. The commercial vehicle segment is an area where Linared's e-axle technology has garnered a lot of attention. Our sales and engineering teams are showcasing this product and will be at the Advanced Clean Transport Expo in California later this month. And lastly, our Innovation Hub is excited to announce a new partnership opportunity with an early stage startup. As part of the iHub Technology Outreach Initiative, uh, Lindemar has signed an agreement with Innovative Mechatronic Systems, or IM Systems, out of the Netherlands. IM Systems has developed a promising new friction drive gearbox system for use in the industrial robotics industry. The design is more accurate, it's more robust and efficient, and what that means is the robot can work a lot faster and do more than traditional designs for a lower investment. We feel there's huge opportunity in this large and growing market for an innovation like this. We will aid with design for manufacturing, testing, and prototyping, and we'll be the production manufacturing partner for the system once the technology is fully proven. We've also taken a small equity position in IAM Systems as part of their most recent capital raise finally we continue to execute on our global digitization journey with more and more connected machines data connections and robots being commissioned in our global plants every day with that i'm going to turn it over to our cfo dale schneider to lead us through a more in-depth financial review Dale.
3: thank you linda and good afternoon everyone as linda noted q2 is a strong quarter for sales and an exceptional quarter for earnings as a result of the recovery from the COVID-19 shutdowns that occurred last year, it was also a great quarter for cash generation as we generated $138 million in free cash flow. Additionally, we were able to grow our strong level of liquidity to $1.7 billion. For the quarter, sales were $1.6 billion, up $652 million from $900 million last year. Earnings are normalized for any FX gains or losses related to the revaluation of the balance sheet and any unusual items that may have occurred In the quarter, earnings were normalized for FX gains related to the revaluation of the balance sheet, which impacted EPS by 2 cents per share. Normalized operating earnings for the quarter were 152 million. This compares to a loss of 19 million to last year, an increase of 172 million or 885%. Normalized net earnings increased $129 million or 586% in the quarter to $107 million. Fully diluted normalized EPS increased by $1.97 or 579% to $1.63. Included in the earnings for the quarter was the foreign exchange gain of $1.5 million, which is fully associated with the revaluation of operating balances. As I mentioned, the net FX gains impacted the quarter's EPS by two cents. From a business segment perspective, the Q2 FX gain of $1.5 million was a result of a $7.4 million gain in industrial and a $5.9 million loss in mobility. Further looking at the segments, industrial sales increased 52%, or $134 million, to reach. $394 $394 million in the quarter. The sales increase for the quarter was due to the additional access equipment sales due to the market recovery from COVID-19, in addition to boom market share gearings in both Europe and Asia. Likewise, strong demand and market share gradients drove the agricultural equipment sales as well. These are partially offset by the negative impact on sales from the changes in the FX rates since last year. Normalized industrial operating in the quarter increased 30 million or 82% over last year to 66 million. The primary drivers impacting industrial were the increased contributions and strong access and equipment volumes, the reversal of an AR provision due to the amounts that were collected in the quarter, and these were partially offset by reduced government support related to COVID 19 due to the recovering of the market, the negative impact of foreign exchange rates since last year and the ongoing supply chain issues impacting raw materials and freight costs. Turning to mobility, sales increased by 517 million over Q2 last year to 1.2 billion. The sales increase in the second quarter was driven by the significant increase in volumes due to the recovery since Q2 last year and the 2020 shutdowns that did not recur this year. The increasing volumes on launching programs, both of these were partially offset by the impact of the semiconductor chip shortage, which is impacting our customers and the negative impact and changes at FX rates since last year. PQ normalized operating earnings for mobility were higher by 142 million or 254% over last year. In the quarter, mobility earnings were impacted by the increase in sales net of the semiconductor issues, which were partially offset by the reduced government support related to COVID 19 and the negative impact from changes in FX rates since last year. Returning to the overall Lenemark results, the company's gross margin was $229 million, an increase of $188 million compared to last year. And this was due to the same factors that drove this segment that I just discussed. Cost amortization expense for the second quarter was 109 million. The cost of amortization of, as a percent of sales did decrease to 6.9 percent due to the strong recovery in sales since last year. Selling and general administration costs increased in the quarter to 77 million from 60 million last year. The increase is primarily the result of the reduced government support and the increased cost supporting the sales growth, which were partially offset by the reversal of the AR provisions. Finance expenses decreased $17 million since last year due to the Q2 2020 makehold payment related to the prepayment of the private placement notes that we did last year that did not reoccur. In addition, the lower interest rate as a result of the significantly lower debt levels since last year as well. These are partially offset by the lower interest earned on the declining long-term receivable balances. The consolidated effective interest rate for Q2 remained flat at 2% since last year. Effective tax rate for the second quarter increased to 25.9% compared to last year, due primarily to a prior period adjustment made in Q2 2020 that did not reoccur in 21. As a result, we are expecting that the 2021 full-year tax rate to be in the range of 24 to 26 percent and consistent with the full-year 2020 tax rate. Lennon's cash position was $732 million on June 30th, an increase of $356 million compared to June 2020. The second quarter generated $186 million in cash from operating activities which was used mainly to fund capex and debt repayments. This also resulted in a free cash flow generation of $138 million in the quarter. As a result, net debt to EBITDA decreased significantly to 0.17 times in the quarter from 1.8 times a year ago and down from Q1 levels of 0.31 times. Based on our current estimates, we are expecting net debt to EBITDA to continue to improve by the end of 2021. The amount of available credit on our credit facilities was $950 million at the end of the quarter. Our availability at the end of Q2 remained strong and grew to $1.7 billion. As a result, we currently believe we have sufficient liquidity to satisfy our financial obligations this year. To recap, sales and earnings for the quarter was a story of exceptional performance driven by strong market recoveries from COVID-19 and strong market share growth, driving normalized earnings growth of 586%. Lenmar had a great cash generation quarter as we generate 138 million in free cash flow while growing our liquidity to 1.7 billion that concludes my commentary and i now would like to open up for questions
1: thank you at this time i would like to remind everyone in order to ask a question you will need to press star one on your telephone so with your question that's the bounty Your first question comes from the line of Peter Sklar with BMO Capital Markets. Your line is open.
0: John, good
4: afternoon. I have a, a few questions here. Um, first, can you um, tell us how much was the total amount of government support you received in the quarter?
2: Uh, sure. So uh, after tax, government support was around $16 million in the quarter uh it is uh, down substantially obviously from last year i think last year was at least double that level uh and we do expect q2 is going to be the last quarter for subsidies
4: so uh, i just want to make sure i heard you correctly Lynn. so it's 16 million one six after tax provision correct okay great and then next in the industrial segment you said there was a reversal for some provisions, can you let us know how much that was?
2: Yeah, we haven't disclosed the specifics uh, around that, but I can tell you that it was uh, certainly a factor in driving the margins uh, a little higher than you might have expected. If we strip it out, the margins would drop back down to sort of the level that we're guiding for the year, just uh, at yeah, the low end, just under the normal range that we, we would guide to.
4: Okay um uh next i noticed that like your interest expense really went down like not year over year but versus q1 i think in q1 your interest expense was about 7.6 million and now it's effectively zero um what what happened there where is that just debt getting paid down or, or are there other is there other noise in there
1: no
5: there is a
3: combination of uh debt coming down Uh, the lower interest rate but uh, we also had a foreign exchange um, loss in q1 that did not happen in q2 this year okay um
4: and then next i wanted to ask you like when you like in your um mcdon business and in the skyjack business like are the back like i'm just wondering how how stretched out are the backlogs like is that the situation now where you've got these big stretched out backlogs and you're, you know like you're struggling to you know to meet that demand because of the supply chain issues and so like what are you doing as the orders come in Do you just push them out and so are you kind of beyond six months for backlog is is that kind of a situation
2: well i mean the backlog is indicative of the level of demand so an increase in backlog is not indicating that our inability to supply it's, it's indicative of uh market demand uh, sharply rebounding. So when I say that uh, the the backlog is up so significantly over last year, it's really to do with we've got a lot more orders. So normally, we those orders would translate into sales. in, in the near term, uh, certainly, supply chain issues are constraining our ability to uh, to uh, execute on these customer orders uh, as expeditiously as we normally would uh, but you shouldn't interpret the bigger backlog as being indicative of our inability to produce it it's much more indicative of uh the market rebounding
6: yeah maybe just a little bit more uh, information on it so like the backlog we have at uh skyjack let's say would be sort of very close to what we had at the beginning of 2018 so you know that's probably about a six month backlog to your point that you brought out so again people are placing orders knowing that you know we're going to be uh, delivering you know q1 of next year and that's another thing we're now taking orders for 2022 at both skyjack and macdon both skyjack and macdon plan for this year are, are sort of complete right we know the plan of attack what we're going to do this year and the orders are getting strong coming in for next year for both both companies And then to exacerbate it, uh, Peter, is the supply chain, right? Which is exactly what Linda has highlighted. So we, you know, we're trying to keep up with the demand and the backlog to try and eat away at it. But as we um, have problems with, you know, deliveries or supply chain, it it creates a a potential bigger backlog down the road.
4: Right, So, so Jim and Linda, like typically, like in a normal year, when the business is more stable, usually, like, there's a seasonal pattern for the industrial segment, at least in terms of profitability, where the second half is weaker than the first half. But it, it sounds like what you're saying is the backlog is so healthy that, um, like, Q3 profit, Q3 and Q4 profitability are going to kind of be like Q2 profitability, maybe a little bit more. Yeah.
5: Um, is, that, is that what you're
4: saying?
6: Yeah, it could be because there's pent up demand, right? And what happens is you just keep sort of pushing it down the road a little bit if you can't get enough of the, uh, enough of the parts. And it's sort of like if you look at what Linda's commentary on the inventories in the auto side, right? If you go back to 2019, June, there would have been about, I don't know, Mark 65, 68 days of inventory, 26. Now to eat up that, we got to create another 40 days over the next, you know, how do you pick up the 40 days, right? If consumer demand stays up, you've got to make that up, right? So again, it's sort of pushing the, pushing it down the road a little bit so that pent-up demand is there. It's just now getting caught up with uh, the supply chain. Right.
4: Okay, thank you for your comments.
1: Your next question comes from the line of Krista Friesen with CIBC. Your line is open.
7: Hi. Thanks for taking my question. I just was wondering on the labour costs, should we expect to see some margin pressure from that through the back half of the year and into 2022?
2: Uh, I mean, the, the labor issue is uh, less of an inflationary issue and more of an availability issue, although obviously the two are linked because if you continue to not be able to attract people, you may have to, to make some changes in that uh, regard. Uh, I wouldn't say we're expecting to see a big spike in, uh, in labor costs, but uh, I wanted to illustrate that uh, the labor side is certainly an issue that we're struggling with to try to fill... Open positions, which is impacting also our ability to produce, as just as the supply chain side. Yeah, is. I think
6: the incentives too are something that uh, plays plays into this too. And as that sort of uh, tapers off, I think we're going to get a better read of that. But I mean, certainly there is you know competition for labor uh, in the marketplace. So. You know, we have a very specific uh, formula for labor at a certain percentile, and we stick to that. And we are, you know, monitoring labor um, ranges all the time for the different disciplines.
7: Okay, great, thanks. And I was just wondering, your um, the guidance that you've provided for twenty twenty one is that more reflective of IHS's expectations on the chip shortage, or your more conservative? stance on the impact of the chip shortage.
2: Uh, I mean, our, our forecasts are currently based on what our customers are saying, which is generally aligned to what IHS says. Uh, so, uh, I mean, that's how we normally run with our forecast, but, you know, we are suggesting that you be a little more cautious uh, in terms of what you're, uh, what you're expecting uh in terms of of volume so there there could be additional uh pressure
7: okay that makes sense and then just as far as capex is concerned i know you're saying that you're it'll return to more normal levels in 2022 so uh, for the remainder of 2021 should we just assume that it stays um at this more uh at this lower level
2: Yeah, I mean, we are expecting to stay uh, under our normal range for the year.
7: Okay, perfect. And then just lastly, I was wondering um, if you can comment on how you're thinking about your buyback given uh, how strong your balance sheet is at this point.
2: Yeah, I mean, that's absolutely uh, dividends and buyback are both uh, questions that are on the table. We had some discussions today about it and we'll continue uh, to uh, to discuss that. Uh, you know, it is something that we talk about with the board uh every uh every quarter uh in terms of uh where we're at in cash position, which as noted is obviously very good, uh, and what our expectations uh of um, incre- of cash needs are coming up. Uh, I mean, we're, we're conscious of the fact that we've already raised the dividend twice uh, in the last uh, nine months, so uh, conscious of that, and always trying to balance out, you know, the needs of our shareholders and those of uh, other areas of the business. So it's something that's always an option, uh, and of course we would to consider, and something that is certainly uh, on the table for discussion uh, with uh, with our board.
1: Okay, great. Thanks. I will jump back in the queue. Again, if you would like to ask a question, please press star one on your telephone. Your next question comes from the line of Brian Morrison with TD Securities. Your line is open.
5: Oh, thank you. Good evening. Um, Can I just follow up on the the buyback question there? Maybe you could explain the board conversations against being active in the buyback your balance sheets extremely strong your guidance is great your free cash flow is positive maybe just what would be against buying back stock
2: yeah I mean obviously expectations around needs for uh, for cash so I mean it's it's uh, it's got to be a holistic conversation that looks at, at um, every every piece so you uh, it is uh, a topic that we uh, discuss regularly
5: and will continue to do. Okay if I can turn to industrial maybe a question for Jim. Um, maybe just help me understand when you talk about you know pasture or limited pasture with respect to commodity costs, can you just remind me of, of the price reset opportunity when does that happen and, and what would your approach be? I think it happens in the fall.
6: For both. Yeah families. you're right yeah. Yeah, Brian, that's the sort of timing is sort of now. So we're, we're sort of taking a estimate of where things are on the commodity side, right? Of course, um, you know, I think uh, sheep, hot rolled sheep metal was like 1800 per ton. And, you know, a year ago was probably 700 a ton. Um, we now need to figure out where the sweet spot will be for that. And that will dra- drive our sort of price listing and our discount levels um and we would do that for both industrial companies macdon and Skyjack. but yeah we're in the that mode right now the pricing models are over next year
5: okay thank you and then sticking with industrial maybe they'll be yeah, it's almost a 17 percent normalized margin industrial despite your pre-quarter um presentation highlighting major commodity and shipping costs so maybe just can you reconcile this it sounds to me like the cws and receivable reversal that takes you down to about 12 and 13 percent maybe just you know give us some context of what the margin pressure from shipping and logistics was
3: well i think uh linda's slides kind of show that pretty well on the shipping uh, cost you know in some cases we're paying up to twenty thousand dollars a shipping container whereas you know a couple of years ago that was like three grand so that is really impacting uh, uh, the industrial side because they they are looking at uh, raw materials globally and not just within uh, the U.S. where on the auto side most of our raw material suppliers are coming out of the U.S. you don't quite have the same shipping issues as you have and they also ship uh, finished goods products around the world from uh, Guelph as well so that's a great example of what's hurting our margins in those pressures will continue for the yeah, I think next it's, little while.
6: Another push on margin, too, on OE could be also the supply and the Im- impact on our efficiency at our facilities, right? So if we're waiting for a park and you've got to run overtime on the weekend and things like that to get things done, there creates creating inefficiency if you have to disrupt lines as well. So that also puts a little bit of pressure on our um, earnings side. Okay, and
5: then last question for me. Thank you there. Um, in terms of the auto margin forecast for 2021 and 2022, can you just clarify for me, you've got this 2021 mid-normal range and then 2022 normal range. What does that mean? It sounds to me like it's it's down while well, volume should be much higher. And if that's the case, is that simply because of the CEWS benefit?
2: So, uh, I'm sorry, you're, you're thinking that the 2021 should be higher? I didn't quite a- understand your question.
5: No, I'm just uh, trying to understand what, the, what that means. 2021, you say mid-normal range, and then 2022, it says normal range. Does that infer that 2022 should be lower than 2021 despite volumes should be much higher?
2: No. Uh, in fact, we, we uh, specifically say that we expect margins to expand next year for the mobility segment, right? So we expect margins to expand this year, and we'll be in the kind of mid mid uh, range. And then we expect further expansion next year.
5: Understood. Well done. Very challenging quarter.
2: Thank
1: you. You have a follow up question from Mr. Sklar with BMO. Your line is open.
4: Uh, Linda, there's a slide there's a, a slide in the in the deck it's slide uh, your page 31 and I'm just wondering if you could I mean you did touch on it but I'm just wondering if you could spend a little more time on it I just want to make sure um, I understand exactly what you're showing there it's a slide that says electrified vehicles key growth opportunity for Linamar and you've yep. got three, three lines there
2: right so this is showing our booked when, and actual content per vehicle for different types of propulsion. So trying to show you that we are rapidly growing our content per vehicle that uh, you know, is forecast out a few years out uh, based on actual booked business. So this is not, uh, there's no potential business in here. This is based on things that have actually been awarded and our expected sales revenue for, the, for those propulsion types, uh, for product for those propulsion types divided by the number of uh, that particular type of vehicle that is expected to be built in that year.
4: Okay. And then under the electric, is that DEVs and plug-ins? Yes. And what, what are the... Well,
2: it's, sorry, sorry, sorry. Hybrids are separate. Pardon me. Hybrids are separate. So uh, a plug-in hybrid electric vehicle would be under the hybrid uh, line, so that dotted gray line. The, the electric line is a battery electric vehicle, pure battery electric vehicle. I mean, you obviously plug them into charge them, but it's not a yeah. plug-in hybrid.
4: Okay, and then on the electric line, um, where like, you're kind of getting up to about $50 of content uh, by mid-decade, um, what is the major product category? Is it e axles or is it um, structural parts or is it all of the above?
6: Uh, pretty well, you hit both of the key ones there. Okay. Structural and, and uh, gear driven e axle systems.
4: Okay. And the structural, that's out of your um, die cast joint venture that you have in the U.S.?
6: Yes. So. Yeah, but also part of our low-pressure low, uh, low pressure gravity, uh, out of, if you remember the Montepay acquisition, that also right, has structural right. parts and, and chassis sort of components that uh, are part of that. So it would be, a lot goes in there too.
4: Okay. Okay, that's great. Thank you.
1: There are no further questions at this time. I will now try to call back over to Linda Hassenfretz for closing remarks.
2: Thank you very much. Uh, So to conclude this evening, I'd like to leave you with three key messages. First, it is great to see such dramatic sales growth in the quarter, which is significantly outpacing the market growth. Secondly, it's great to see our balance sheet in such fantastic shape despite the pressures of last year, with consistent free cash flow giving us a war chest to drive continued growth. And finally, it's great to see strong market demand indicating that we will be entering a period of strong, sustained performance once supply issues are behind us. Thanks very much, everybody, and have a great evening.
1: This concludes this conference call. You may now disconnect.
0: Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app.